Welcome to The Thought Podcast. Today, a podcast host, a pastor, and a scientist walk into a bar, and the host asks, has science killed God? Okay, so it's not a bar, it's my kitchen, but it contains beer and good company, so it's close enough. My name is Louise, and I am your podcast host. I'm joined by Pastor Andy Wadhams of Gallery Church in Birmingham, and eminent geologist, Professor Hugh Rollinson. Welcome to The Thought Bar. I'm afraid you'll need to buy your own drinks. Thank you for joining me. Um, I guess we'd best start with some introductions before we get into anything so that people actually know who we are. And especially it being the first one, no one knows who I am either. So who are we and how did we all get here? (laughs) Well, aside from walking into the room, uh, I am not a scientist and not a pastor and we've billed me as the host and I've never hosted a podcast before but then again a translator a pastor and a scientist walk into a bar did not quite have the same ring to it and that is what I actually do for my day job and occasionally evening and weekend job so I'm completely unqualified and it seems that I got here by being mildly persuasive and knowing some people I thought I could have a beer or a coffee with and a nice chat so um it's mostly on you two to be fun and interesting really um and I guess we should do a cringy icebreaker so um if I were an animal I think that I would be a golden retriever and that is because they are very teachable and can appear incredibly intelligent but also daft enough to run into windows headfirst and I feel like that describes me as a person um, Andy, who hi. are you and how did you get here? Well, uh, hi, my name is Andy, um, so we, I've got the right person in the right place, Excellent. which is good. Um, I got here because I'm the resident pastor of this podcast, meaning that in 100% of the shows so far, I've been the pastor on, uh, in, from that title, which what is very good. What a hit rate. So there I am, you know, you can't knock 100%, can you? I'm here. Um, I'm blessed to be here, actually, and uh, keen on the subject and uh, yeah like some push and pull around this discussion really I think it's really good if I was a vegetable what vegetable would it be I think I'd be <laughs> I think I'd be a parsnip because I'm better covered in honey um, do with that as you please beautiful image <laughs> okay so we've got the podcast host and the pastor Hugh you are our scientist and the most qualified by a long shot come on so how did you get here scientifically and why did you agree to take part in this podcast, knowing that we're mostly here to poke fun at each other? Okay, well, I'm up to promote being a scientist, and I'm up to promote being a Christian, and therefore I'm game for having fun poked at me. But how did I get here? Uh, well, it's a very long story, because I'm now retired, so I'm a geologist by training, and I've just worked my way up through my career from being a student... Uh, doctoral studies, university lecturer, university professor, living in a number of different parts of the world, writing books, writing scientific articles, and uh, this is where we are today. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Very similar to my route there. I did, uh, I did a morning at university. Uh, <laughs> so we've, I feel we're already connecting. Well, I hope it wasn't one of my colleagues that put you on. <laughs> no, no, I, I wouldn't have made it into one of their lectures to start off with, really. I would think it was a graphic design. <laughs> Amazing. Well, what a bio. Um, Hugh, yeah. we know what animal I would be. We know what vegetable Andy would be. That's right. If you were a mineral, what would you be? And yes, I absolutely did engineer that to do animal, vegetable and mineral and ask the geologist what kind of mineral he would be. You're very okay. welcome. Okay, well, fair game. Um, <laughs> I'd be a diamond. 
Oh. Uh, not because I'm bright and sparkly, but because diamonds are very durable and I'm there for that. I'm here for the long haul. Oh. Nice. That's good. It went a little bit blind date there, didn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> so pick me and we'll have a sparkly time. I don't know what else. Also, there is, I mean, as a formatting issue straight away, why am I a vegetable? You're, because of the animal, vegetable and mineral thing. Which biblical character? Which deity? Which expression of the Lord? You know, any of those are great, but I suppose I'll take vegetable for this one. For this one. (laughs) Just, you know, we need to keep that joke. I'm glad you didn't ask me what sort of rock I am. That would have been much harder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but but, what sort of rock are you? Uh, Give me time. (laughs) Give me time. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of indie soft rock or... Yeah, yeah, rock and roll. That's what we were thinking of. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Well, today's title is A podcast host, a pastor and a scientist walk into a bar and the host asks... Has science killed God? So I think I'm supposed to ask that question. And I'm not going to ask Andy because we know he's contractually obliged to say no. No. So Hugh, has science killed God? No. Cool. That was a short podcast. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Uh, No, we will carry on. Um, But seriously, if we are all saying no across disciplines, Mm. why do we even feel the need to ask the question? Mm. Andy, do you come across a lot of people who believe this in your work or Christians who are scared that it might be true? Yeah, that's a great, it's a really good question, especially the second part there, because, um, yeah, I think some people do fear the answer. <laughs> like, has God been disproved? And is this just a nice club that I'm going to with the idea of mystical deity kind of attached that kind of sometimes might be of use or help to us? I think my, my role, my realm is I, I want to break down barriers. So <clears throat> and I just want to break down the barriers of people knowing a God that they can have a personal relationship with. So I look at Jesus and he's flipping tables over. Um, and that's because there were barriers being put in place that were very difficult for um, people to come to know God in, in various guises. And I, I just think <clears throat> there's some modern day barriers now. And I think one of the classic ones in my job that I hear you know, God can't be real or I'm struggling to connect with God or I don't think I, I want to know a God like that, perhaps would be um, suffering and pain. Like, how is that still in the world? And quite often that's rooted deeply in something they've experienced or they've seen someone experience as well. Um, and there's, there's a number of barriers. One of the key ones has to be, you know, but science, like, oh, you don't believe, you know, why don't you believe in God? Why do you think it's kind of a crazy idea? Because science, and I just think that's really... Not fair. So it's an important discussion to keep happening. And I think let's keep having this discussion until it becomes the norm and people understand that it is a discussion and not just a given that science has killed God. For a lot of us who have been around this area, I I feel like, yeah, okay, we're engaged in discussion. But for loads of people, I have to confess, before I was a Christian in year nine science, I met a Christian at my um, on my science table. And it was just coincidental. We could have been any other class, to be fair. And he said, oh, I'm a Christian. And I, oh, <laughs> like I knew that it was all just made up and we'd progressed past that. I didn't, I didn't have a clue. I was 13. So I'd obviously inherited that kind of pushing down of any sort of intelligence to do with God, you know, in Christianity. And I think it's very much still there. So I'm up for the conversation and I think let's keep having it until there's perhaps a bit more parity, um, you know, in, in, in that realm. Yeah. Amazing. So it's definitely a thing that people um, feel they need to deal with then if you've yeah. had those kinds of experiences. And I remember as well a conversation with one friend who told me that she believed multiverse theory over God as an exp- explanation for our existence because it was more fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, part of me can't fault that. Like, 
aside from the fact that fun is now one of my favourite reasons to believe something, the idea of infinite universes where all possible timelines are playing out is it's just really sci-fi and silly feeling and mm. it's like something out of Hitchhiker's Guide or just any sci-fi and it, imagining that that could be true is really satisfying in some ways and it's really fun but I just kind of think that if something seems more fun than God you've probably underestimated God's capacity for fun right like yeah. the blobfish is God's idea or the mantis shrimp or those goats that mimic rigor mortis when they're scared which you shouldn't do deliberately because it's cruel um mimic rigor mortis or scare a goat which might be cruel. Both, both Sca- are cruel. Scaring goats, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Although if you're around someone who cares for you, mimicking rigor mortis might also be cruel. Yeah. Although worth filming, you might get 250 quid on um, on there. Uh, you've been framed. That's true. Do yeah. they still do that? Is that a thing? Oh, I think Harry Hill's doing it. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know if they've done one recently. Okay. Yeah. But to come back to the fun thing, I would say, as the boring scientist, if you like, that that isn't really the criterion we should be looking for. We should be looking for what's true. Mm. And I guess both in my faith and in my science, these are the things that drive me. No, I like that. Well, when when I first ever saw you, there was a massive discussion going on at Cambridge University. I mean, how they even let me in, I don't know. But we were there and uh, we were enjoying... But the big discussion was, is there a multiverse or not? And people who know a lot more than me were disagreeing about this concept and had faith. So I just, at that point, I was like, right, almost anything's possible still with intellectual conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't <laughs> claim to know about multiverses either. So yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the great letter for every scientist, and I'll probably use it more than once, is, sorry, it's not my field. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe I should be saying that before everything I say. <laughs> well, probably both of us, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> so, okay. Let's get into the actual workings of this question. Hugh, I know you've looked into some of the background as to why this uh, false dichotomy exists, or we we all seem to think it's a false dichotomy. Mm. Um, Where does it come from, this idea that science has replaced God? Well, it's interesting, just to pick up on what you're saying, um, a few years ago there was a book written which actually talked about the science religion or the science faith split as warfare and Mm. quite a lot of people have used warfare the warfare narrative to talk about the way in which science and religion relate and of course I would be somebody that would want to argue against that and say no they're not at war with each other they're compatible but but to go back to where it's come from I think we need to go back to some medieval history and think about where did science come from in the first place Mm. And the interesting thing is that it came from a Christian background. Mm. There were people out there in the Middle Ages who genuinely believed that the God they believed in was a rational God. He didn't do crazy things like some of the Greek and Babylonian gods. And he had made a world that was possible for us to understand. And he'd made us in his own image. So putting all those things together, it means that God's world was an understandable world and therefore, if you like, if you had a mind to it, it was understandable. And so modern science was born out of looking at and doing experiments on the natural world because it was possible and because it would give us sensible results. So in some ways, that's where the whole idea of modern science came from. 
it was founded in a Christian understanding of the world. Okay, great. So you're doing a wonderful job of telling us why this science-faith dichotomy is unnecessary. Mm. Now, where does it come from? It comes from a number... There are a number of different routes, I think, really. Um, Because there were people... Uh, in the Middle Ages and before, who were just saying, look, this is the way the earth, the world works. Uh, you don't need to study it. You don't need to explore it because we've been given it. It's almost as if philosophy has given us a worldview and therefore this is the way the world works. Mm. And this was actually a tension even within Christian thinking because some people were saying, well, let's just hang on a minute. Let's explore. Let's do some experiments. Let's make some observations. And then see if that fits with your worldview. So it was a question of authority. There were some people who were saying, this is the way it happens, and other people were saying, well, that doesn't fit with my experiments and my observations. And so um, it, it came from this conflict in the Middle Ages of people beginning to do experiments and finding they challenged the prevailing authority. So we've got parts of the church there that they're the ones where they have this worldview that they feel like it explains everything. Yes. I feel like we should test this theory. Andy, how do you feel about explaining everything? Yeah, uh, how long we got? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I struggle explaining stuff. I can't explain why on earth people fill the dishwasher in incorrectly. You know, I just don't understand that. Um, and I don't understand... Um, when is a circle a circle and when is it a dot? What size does a dot become a circle and a circle become a dot? So that's what's happening in my brain. And I don't think that's very helpful for anybody, really. So <clears throat> can pastors explain everything? Is the church supposed to be explaining everything in the world? I just don't think so. We're supposed to be helping people, pointing people to God and discussing the God and human narrative and who God is as we understand him best at the moment. So we should know a bit about that, to be fair, but <clears throat> other stuff? I don't know, let's have some experts in that other stuff, I expect. Thank goodness for explorers and geologists and all of them. Yeah, yeah. That seems more realistic, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure we have anyone who can explain everything. No. Um, but on the other hand, I do feel like some popular science claims to explain everything. Like, these are the facts, and they never change. And, you know, don't argue with anything and don't look beyond it. Um, But that's not where you're coming from, Hugh. No, it's not. I think um, there's this view uh, which we call scientism, which is about where science can explain everything. Uh, Another way of thinking about it is to use the term materialism, which we could use to say all that matters is stuff. All that Mm. matters is matter. Mm. And there are some people who've gone a very long way in saying... I will only believe in the stuff that science can prove. And we know that science has its limitations. Mm. Science is doing a very, very good job at explaining the way our world works. But there are some things that science cannot explain and go outside the remit of science, uh, of experiment, of observation, Mm. of testability, of repeatability, all the things that scientists do to try and verify their ideas. And uh, so this, this, work, this view of scientism has been picked up by a number of prominent scientists in recent years and pushed hard uh, against uh, the world of faith and uh, the Christian faith particularly. Mm. Okay, so we've kind of got this split in both camps. We've got 
people thinking in both ways within the church and within science then. So this kind of fixed worldview versus mm. let's explore it is on both sides. Um, and as you were saying, they're kind of competing for authority in history. So where does that go from there? Can you pin down an example of how this argument kind of works? Okay, well, there's, um, there's a group of people who were popular 20 years ago. Uh, one of them was um, Richard Dawkins, who many people know. Another was Philip Pullman, who's famous for uh, his writings and um, his Dark Materials um, films, which were on television a year or two ago. And there was a group of them who called themselves the New Atheist, Atheists. Mm. And they've pushed this really hard. They've pushed the idea that science can explain everything and anything else really is of no value or, or doesn't matter. So that's one extreme in which these ideas have been pushed. Mm. Mm. And I think what's happened is that because they're quite outlandish and because they challenge the authority of the church and to some extent the authority of some political figures, mm. um, the media have latched onto this. And as you know, in any media interview it's always good to have somebody pushing a cause and then somebody challenging it. And so every time you have a religious person pushing (laughs) their cause, you're going to balance it, because we have to be balanced, uh, with somebody who's going to push another angle. And I think, to some extent, uh, this is how this warfare narrative has been maintained and developed by people always trying to balance one argument with another. Mm. In essence, we like to watch people arguing with one another. Yeah. It's not, well, much, it's not much on the local news, is it? But no. The pastor says, yes, it's possible. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> really get into that argument. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we're not having him again. That, he, was, he was very, very nice and didn't create any viewing figures for us. Yeah, I've got a bit of a thought on that. Like, um, as a pastor, so I... I I always try and get people back to the why, and I know it seems rudimentary, but I think it's helpful. But what I think some people who particularly aren't scientists but lean into it say, I think they've confused the how and the why um, about life. And just because we've discovered deeper how life is working, how this earth works, how the universe is happening, we now sometimes we think that that's the why because we didn't know it before. We now can explain something or create something ourselves but actually it's just another how. It's like, that's yes, that's how it happens and that's a cause and effect and that's because of that. So if a volcano, for example, we now know that that perhaps isn't an angry god under the crust of the earth spewing um, rage at us. We now know that. But still, why? And, and you know, mm. the idea of why that even exists is big. And I think the church authorities being challenged, I would encourage any church authority to have a wider view because who are we to ever say really how God does something we always see the anomalies in the testimonies uh, in, in in the Bible we see lots of stuff oh and God did it a completely different way for a random reason and I think we have to be very careful when we're fixed on the idea God is only going to do it this way and uh, that's probably I don't know if there's any uh, nods with this but that's probably where we got into some trouble because people were saying God just does it in this way but people with God-given curiosity and skill for experimentation and exploration were finding out God was actually operating a different way. He'd done other things over time, and that was a real challenge. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear what you're saying. I think it's still relevant. What I'm trying to say, it's still relevant for today. God still might speak to anyone else, use someone else, use someone outside the church for a discovery for us to be blessed with. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always fearful of quite close-minded um, organisations. I think that's what's happened, though, because there has been this very strong anti-Christian movement from yeah. scientists, the backlash has been a very strong anti-science movement yeah. on the part of some church people. Mm. And this is something that really disturbs me yes. because I feel it discredits the Christian faith. So yeah. for me, who I feel I can balance my faith and my science, uh, yeah. I can live with both. S some people I've met really struggle with that and they find it very hard uh, to believe that scientists are actually saying anything that's right, given mm. this very strong anti-Christian strand that comes out of people like the New Atheist group and so on. Gosh. And um, that's a movement which I'm sure you've seen, Andy, yeah. in the church. Yeah. And I don't know whether it would disturb you in the same way as it disturbs me. Well, certainly. I used to think I had... I was just a bit open anyway as a, as a guy, but actually I've come to realise it's, uh, it's necessary um, for being open to where and how God might move. And so it's a real concern. And uh, I'm not about to say get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated, but that's a really good example of people's faith being applied and then pressure being applied to church leaders to believe one thing or believe the other thing. But you can't possibly hold the two intention at all. One, for the sake of your sanity. Two, for the sake of truth. And three the sake of the group of people and all their different feelings and thoughts in that room mm. and in your congregation in the wider church so i do see it and it does it does it's always worried me in fact yeah 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 so probably one example of that that would be relevant to you Hugh, as a geologist yes um would be young earth creationism presumably yeah. that's something that you've thought about and it comes back to as well what you were saying andy about how god does things because we there is a, a feeling that like this is how we're reading it, so this is how it happens. Sure. So how do you get around that one, Hugh? Yeah, well, it really is a big one for me and something I've wrestled with throughout my whole life because wow. um, I was brought up in a Christian home and so I've read the Bible from a young age and I started studying geology at school, so I've been doing geology for a very long time now as well. And so this is always coming up and there's, there's lots of angles to it. But historically, the argument developed in the Seventh-day Adventist church. OK, or... hang on, pause. The argument developed. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, what you're telling us is that this is, this is not the standard. It's something that's kind of been brought in. Because I think a lot of people assume that, you know, you read this and this is exactly how it must, how it must be. Like, we read it in that very literal way. And then if we move away from that that's we're departing from that but what you're saying is there was something first and potentially reading it like a science textbook or like a news report is mm. already the departure um and i think if you if you see uh, genesis as this kind of news reported account like departing from that can feel quite manipulative like it's almost like the delivery guy who's got this book that's too big for your letterbox and and he really really doesn't want to ring the doorbell and then he's like folding it in half and ripping the packaging and then you come mm. home and pick it up and go why is this this shape this isn't the wrong shape for this book <laughs> and like yeah. if you feel like kind of reading it as a news story reading genesis as a news story is the way that it's done it can feel like that's what you're doing if you depart from it so how 
what how did we get there go, go if you can go back to what you were saying because mm. i think it's important to kind of realize that this is an introduction of something yes well mm. when darwin wrote his or- origin of the species which triggered a lot of discussion in the 1850s then there were people at that point that were worried about the implications of what he was saying. But by and large, the Christian church went along with it and accepted his findings. Mm. But it was in the late 1800s and the early part of the 20th century that there was then this backlash against his teaching. And as I've mentioned, there's this group, whether they're a church or not, the Seventh-day Adventists, who argue for... God's resting on the seventh day. And so the seventh day of creation was really important to them. And so for them, creation had to take place over six days and then God rested on the seventh day. And this is their special day. And this, if you like, is the definitive thing about this particular Christian movement. And they pushed this really hard. And this led to the idea that Um, the whole of the earth must have been created in six days and this is what the Genesis account means and we have to take it literally. Mm. Subsequently, that view was discredited but then it was picked up again in the 1960s by the evangelical wing of the church, the part of the church that I think we probably all represent and it was pushed very hard, particularly in the US and sadly it's gained a huge amount of traction since then over what's that the last 60 years it's still a very vibrant idea and it's pushed hugely in america Mm. it's quite important in britain australia i'm not sure about continental europe but um, it's an idea which people struggle with and as you've mentioned louise requires you to read the bible as it were a news account or a scientific textbook, however you want to describe it. Something that you have to take at absolute face value. Now, I struggle with that. You struggle with that. So mm. let's let's get into that a little bit. Like That's juicy. That's yeah. juicy. Come on. <laughs> this is it. This is the premium content. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to read the Bible in a different way, how do you decide how to do that? What was your process with that? Mm. Well, it was a long process. And as I mentioned, I've been a Christian and studied geology since I was a boy so even at quite a young age and perhaps as a student I was looking at all the possible options so here's geological history here's the bible account maybe we can fit them across maybe the first day the first things happen and the second day the second things happen but after a lot of struggling I realized that just wouldn't work Mm. and anyway within the text you find discrepancies like you've got light And then the day or two later, you've got the sun being made. And we all know that light comes from the sun in our world. And so, you know, it just didn't fit. And it was this gradual process of trying to make things fit and not succeeding that I began to say, look, we're dealing with two entirely different things here. Mm. We're dealing with a a written account of, of how God did things. And we're dealing with a scientific account. And... I gradually began to think more broadly. Of course, we get hung up on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. 
There are many other creation stories in the Bible. You go into the Psalms, you go into the book of Job, and you find descriptions of God's creative acts. Mm. And we take them as poetry without any problem. We don't see them as necessarily a description of the actual events in, in a kind of chronological sequence. And I've come to see the book of Genesis as an account which was written about how God did things, but more, going back to Andy's point, why God did things. Mm. And it was written for a different audience in a different time to answer different questions from our scientific age. But I, if I might just add, before you jump in, um, I believe the book of Genesis is really, really important. And those first two chapters contain contain stuff which is absolutely foundational for human life. I would never rip them out of my Bible and say we can do without these because they contain things which are so important. Right. We're just trying to work out how we should read it. I think that's just amazing. I'm so encouraged to hear you say that. No, I didn't expect you to say anything different, but um, to actually big up Genesis, I think you got it. You know, like perhaps one of the most important things in Genesis is God God did it with, you know, with intent. You know, it wasn't an accident to create a world, create us. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the details are the details and we can work through those. And, you know, but even this Sunday, I was speaking this Sunday and I was aware I was in a bit of scripture that can be taken literally or as a poet. But I just want it, I'm just aware people are at different places. And so I said, however you read this, if you read this as a poem, uh, or a piece of creative writing, um, or if you read this as a literal translation, because, hey, man, who knows when we get there and we'll see how God did stuff. Um, you know, and I just carried on into the text. But I just put that out there just to say, hey, we're on the journey here. And um, I, I'm really, I might be going off script here a little bit and stuff. So, But i just really encouraged about your personal story, growing up in a Christian household. Were you given the freedom to explore or did you have to do it kind of on the sly? Like, don't let anyone know, but I'm exploring the idea that God's, you know, God's word might have, you know, a misconnect with our scientific world. Yeah, I think my parents were very tolerant of me, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, the, there's, there's lots of things I could say about that, because I think my dad had very fixed views. Right. Um, I grew up initially in the Brethren Church, mm. which you may know can be quite strict. Not the strictest of Brethren, they were open Brethren. Mm. But people tend to be quite, if you like, conservative in their views. And so I think my dad was happy to let me do my own thinking, my exploration, while maintaining his own views privately. Yeah. So we rarely had arguments or disagreements. I think he just noted the way I was going. Um, and and I know certainly early on his, his thoughts were dif were different from mine. Mm. But if I, if I could just give another anecdote, which is very uh, from a very different time in my life. Some years ago, I lived in the Middle East, and I, I taught in a university there. And we lived on a university campus, and we had some very near neighbours who were from Canada, and they had very, if you like, traditional views about the Book of Genesis. And um, we got to know them as good friends and we, they took us out on trips into the desert and so on. And it, mm. We had some great times with them, but we were always arguing about Genesis. Um, you know, we just could not agree. Um, 
he was a linguist, I was a scientist, we were both Christians, we both went to the same church, we both belonged to the same house group, but we couldn't agree. Um, fast forward four years on, um, one day this guy said to me, um, you know, there might be something in, in, in what you're thinking, you know, in your scientific work. And what had happened was we'd lived alongside each other We'd prayed, we'd studied the Bible together, we'd worshipped in the same church. We knew we had the same goals, mm. but we were coming from different positions. And I think it was that living alongside somebody that allowed him to see that I wasn't a nutter and I wasn't a heretic. Uh, I was someone that was faithful as a Christian and that kind of warmed him to my ideas. Mm. So I think when we are... If we take the warfare analogy, sometimes yeah. we have to be in it for the long haul. It's often about a relationship with somebody where we begin to develop these ideas rather than just hammering away at these mm. are the facts and you've got to believe them because they're true kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, the short answer is be nice to each other. Is that, mm. <laughs> is that all we're doing? If only someone had said that. I know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Jesus should have put that in some of his teachings. Yeah, that'd been really useful. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> very good. Thanks so much, you, for guiding us through some of your process there and some of your story. Mm, yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a few things that stand out. I mean, one is that we're seeing a lot of anti-science stances from Christian groups, if we kind of trace some of the things we've talked about. Um, although, as we said, not across the board. Um, but let's think about those people um, for a minute. Why can't we just run away from science what are we missing out out on and i know we've touched on this but to ask the question directly andy what do you have to say yeah i think that's really good i think for me personally because it's loads of fun like discovering and learning and finding out about this brilliant world that we're in and you know it's genuinely uh, intriguing and stimulating to learn new things but not everyone feels that passionately about learning um so that's fair enough but I think it's probably quite important, like I was going talking about those barriers, huge barrier could be that, um, well, I remember on the first ever, oh, it's just come to me, so this is dangerous. On the first ever Big Brother, um, <laughs> the, the TV show, and there was a guy called Nasty Nick, and he certainly played the villain, but he said that uh, there was someone of faith in, you know, and they were typically someone of faith uh, as the media wanted to portray them. And he said, oh, well, you know, um, Christianity or believing in God is just a crutch for the weak and I just think that coupled with the that kind of thinking along the lines of oh well if you're not really a thinker you can just have faith um, and I just believe that like Jesus died for everyone um, and so we must make an effort to show thinkers and explorers and that God is able to handle their question and I think for me we must stay engaged I've got a neighbour who's over the road, um, and he says this, this is quite funny, he says, he's, he's not a Christian, he knows that I am, so aren't I doing great in my witness, well done. Local pastor is known for being Christian, that's the news right there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he, he says to me, I'd be quite a catch for God if I became a Christian. <laughs> I love his phraseology. <laughs> what confidence. Yeah, no, yeah, I would be quite the catch. Um, but uh, went back into his story, and obviously me, like, just being over the road now, is creating some questions and towards the end of his life as well. He's an elderly gentleman. Um, but his separation from God came from going to Catholic school. It could have been any school. And as, like, he's got the gift of curiosity. 
and as a young man, young boy, asking questions but being shut down and being closed down for those questions because it's a challenge to authority, it's a challenge to God, you just won't understand. And I just am so sad by story after story like that that the the church or maybe church people have misrepresented the idea that God can't handle questions. God can handle questions. And I wonder if like a, a good father, he enjoys them and the push and the pull and some of the stuff we've yet to discover. He's waiting for us to discover quite excitedly, but yet we're fearful that it might, you know, so we shut down the question. So I don't know if that even answers your question, Lou, but you can tell I'm quite passionate <laughs> about it. <laughs> no, that's great. And I like the idea because God would be pretty small if he couldn't handle our questions, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bit, yeah. Wouldn't work out that well. No. All right, Hugh, what about you? What's your response to this idea? Why shouldn't we be running from science as Christians? Well, science is incredibly successful. And if we close our mind to that, then we really have shut down our minds on a major part of life. We've touched on vaccines, and I know it's contentious, but the vaccine programme uh, that has been developed in the last couple of years is a really good example Mm. of the success of science. Um, Behind the scenes, there were several decades of hard work which led to the formulation of the vaccine that we needed for COVID, and that's why it happened so quickly. Mm. Um, But the fact that it has been so successful in preventing people getting COVID is just one little example of the way in which I I see science working. But, I mean, we we just look around us. As, As science has been adapted and used in technology all this kit that we have around us in the studio is just another example of the way in which science is successful. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the people who have become uh, so keen on science are obviously seduced by that and ultimately say, so science can explain everything. And that's Mm -hmm. where I would step in and say, hang on a minute, I'm not sure that's quite true. Mm -hmm. But it's the success of science, I would argue, um, that is why we must never run away from it. Because if we do, we're just closing down our minds mm-hmm. to um, a major part of life. And if I can just sort of interject something else here, which really is just um, a, a question for people listening to this podcast. Mm. Um, you know, l- little boy is reading a book with grandma and it's all about, the creation of the world and it happened in six days and grandma says yeah that's how it happened and uh, that's what the bible teaches us fast forward 13 14 years little boy comes home from biology lesson and says to grandma actually grandma it's not true what you told me that the, the earth wasn't created in six days our biology teachers told us all about the history of time and 21 and little boy is no longer little boy, he's a grown man, and he's no longer a Christian believer, because what he was fed when he was little hasn't worked out when he was older. And so getting the truths of science into kids and helping them understand that it's compatible with being a Christian is a really, really important task. And if adults run away from science, they're not helping a younger generation. Oh, that's big. I really, um, yeah, I connect with some of those ideas as well, and especially what you were saying about missing a huge part of life if we ignore science. And I think I'd go as far as, like, we would miss a huge part of God 
Like, I don't think you'd have a Christian who would be like, oh, no, I never pray because I read my Bible. Like, Mm. we have several ways of engaging with God. Like, we all really know that he's not one-dimensional. So why would you shut yourself off to any one way of Mm. perceiving him, whether that's science or anything else? Um, It just seems like a bad idea. It's almost like you want to go on holiday to a new place and experience it, but you're going to deliberately put a blindfold on. Like, you might have an amazing time and try some amazing food and, like, breathe the sea air, (laughs) but you're deliberately not seeing the sights. I like Like, that. I'm going to go to Lanzarote, but I'm not going to use the footpaths. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. right okay <laughs> what, what are you doing <laughs> walk everywhere in the road <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you ever seen um, Waterboy there's a bit where Adam Sandler um, is the Waterboy and he's homeschooled and he gets to university and he's in a kind of a biology class and they're talking about the crocodile having now this, I'm out of my depth here this, this is a comedy film reference the crocodile having a smaller matula oblongata or something which controls jealousy and rage and he said that's why crocodiles are a bit more kind of rageful or, or attacking to which he puts his hand up and says mama says something different uh, which in the, so it's a great punchline and mama says they're angry because they've got all those teeth but no toothbrush and everybody <laughs> then laughs at his level of education um, but his mom has set him up to fail and then he gets a rage and everybody and, and the comedy ensues but it's very I do find that quite similar if we are so close with our children um, we can put them in that position and we, that's, that's a level of hyperbole for comedy's sake but we do put them in that position where they're set up to fail in their faith later. So I really love what you're saying about kind of opening science up for the children. Or at the very least, if you're not, you know, you don't find it a passion or your remit to go, then be open, be accepting and, um, you know, say, listen, there's space for this discussion. Yeah, and just not being afraid of it, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what about the other way around? Because we've said all along from uh, from your introduction here, which was so wonderful, that both of these strands of, oh, my side explains everything, um, mm. exist within the church, which we've just discussed, but also uh, within some areas of science. So you touched on the idea of scientism earlier. Can you get a bit more into that and where that goes? I, I mean, mm. is it not okay for people to just laugh at us and get on with their happy little lives? <laughs> Well, there was, um, i just elaborate a little bit on the scientism because there was a quote I found, in, interestingly, just recently in a book by Philip Pullman, one of the original group of new atheists. Mm. And he talks autobiographically about how in his teenage years he, he grew up as a very convinced believer. And then he uses these fatal words. He says, it was in my teenage years that believing finally became impossible after I'd learnt a little science. The meaning of creation in six days, the conception by means of the Holy Ghost, had to be understood metaphorically rather than literally. And once that was done, the miracles vanished and only God himself was less. And it wasn't long before God had disappeared from his horizon as well. And it's very sad that in his story, it was science that was the tipping point, if you like, uh, at which point he departed from belief in God. And gradually, as he concreted these views in, he he came to the view that science was all that was needed to explain life. And um, that, I think, is the very sad 
and often frequent mistake that people make people make because in my life science has been a very important part of my life both in teaching and in scientific discovery in research but it's not the whole of my life there are vast areas of my life that science cannot speak into um to do with my relationships to my wife my children um with, with the wider world my appreciation of the wide world those wow moments that we sometimes have when something happens completely unexpected and takes us by surprise. There, there are these, if you like, the emotional side of our life is something mm. that science hasn't got tamed and can never explain, mm. which is why, for me, it has to be both science and my faith and my humanity, if you like, mm. rather than just one. Yeah, and coming back to that quote as well, I guess some of what you're saying there is, you know, where Philip Pullman sees believing certain things metaphorically strips the miraculous away and strips the wonder away. Yes. You haven't found that? I'm obviously a bit cautious about claims for the miraculous. Um, the scientist in me wants to test them. Sure. Um, but I am convinced, as I read the Bible, that miracles did happen. And I know miracles still happen and, and um, people experience miraculous things in their lives. And wonder is a funny thing, really, because um, somebody was saying to me the other day, don't you just see something amazing when you look at a, piece, a, a, a scenic view, you know, a lovely sunset or a sunrise? And I have to say, well, I'm sorry, the geek geologist in me doesn't always see that. He's looking at the lines in the mountain and trying to work out whether they're lava flows or whether they're bedded sediments or what they are. <laughs> but it occurred to me recently, you know, that for me, a wow moment has come quite recently uh, in terms of some of the pictures that we've got back from Mars. You look at a photograph and you see something that could be completely Earth-like and yet you realise that this is a camera driven by a robot on a planet, I don't know how many hundred thousand kilometres away. And for me, that is just amazing because it's partly what science has been able to do, but it's partly that there is this other world out there mm -hmm. and you just stand back in awe and you think, this is just incredible. Yeah. And where some people would say, oh, there's this amazing thing that science has done and it has nothing to do with God you would see this incredible thing that science has done that has revealed something that God did. Yes, it's a, it's a bit like flowers in the desert. They come and they go and nobody ever sees them. Mm. What on earth is that for? Here is the planet Mars, it's sandy deserts, it's deltas and all that we expect to find and nobody has ever seen it until now. And it's been there for four and a half billion years. Mm. You know, it was just giving pleasure to God. That's a beautiful image. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I, the emotions thing, that's always a really interesting one for me as a pastor because it's a key part of our job, really, um, helping mm. people work through various parts of their life and therefore various emotions, from weddings to funerals to job losses and all sorts. <clears throat> so I find that interesting. Uh, and I was struck when somebody said, oh, yeah, but we know why. And then they went on to mention about chemical reactions in the brain and synoptic paths and this area of the brain, that area of the brain. For me, again, it was that, that's more how. We, we know a bit more about the how. That's yes. how that's happening. That's how that's... But why? I don't, you know, do we know that and can we know that? And um, 
So I think there is, you know, and is, it, is that science remit or are we talking philosophy or are we talking, you know, because it's not fair on science to say, so ah, you can't do that bit. It's not trying to. It's just discovering, like you said at the very beginning, matter and what matters matters and all of that stuff. So yeah. I think um, I think that's a big discussion to be had, um, but it's not very concise and it doesn't make for good headlines. So let's... It, Forget it. Let's get that pastor on again who goes, I believe the God say it. And get, let's get him back on because uh, he, got, he got the tweets going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. interactive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's interesting you bring that example up because yeah. a speaker that we've got coming to Birmingham this year, a lady called Sharon Dirks is a neuroscientist. Right. And she's written a little book which is entitled, Am I Just My Brain? Ooh. And we're going to get her to talk about that. So is it just, are we simply those electrical impulses that are going through our head mm. or are we something more? And that's a really big topic to explore. And hopefully she will do that later in the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something to add to the show notes. We've discovered all kinds of new questions here um, about what's a, what's a how and what's a why? Are we just our brains? If we're going to read the Bible differently to how people maybe mm. thought we should, how do we decide to do that and what which bits and why? Thank you for all of those expertise. Do you have anything to add, Andy? Well, you know what? <laughs> Not of worth, I, I think, for the listener. <laughs> I think I'm just honouring you, really, more than anything there. But, so, uh, yeah, amazing. Thanks, Andy. That's very kind. Yeah, I think we can agree we like you. We like you. Yeah, <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think we've probably brought up more questions than we've answered, um, but we'll have to attempt to answer those and probably not answer those another time. Um, but in the meantime, thank you to both of you and to Chris, our invisible recording and editing genius. And uh, thank you to anyone who has listened all the way through and made it to the end of the podcast. Do we whoop? If you want to. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Next on our schedule is a partner event held in Birmingham. Professor of Mathematics and Philosopher of Science John Lennox will be giving his answer to the question, can science explain everything? Join us in person or on the live stream. Details available at scienceandfaith.co.uk. Do subscribe to this podcast channel for future trips to the Thought Bar. And you can contact us on Instagram at nowtheresathought or email us at nowthereisathought at gmail.com.